Amen. Thank you, ladies. Well, good morning, church. We are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. We're calling that Servant and Savior, this series we've been in for quite a while. And today we're in Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 46 in just a few moments. We're calling today's message an eye-opening experience. I wonder if you've ever heard of glade skiing. It's also known as tree skiing. Downhill skiing through the trees, off trail, outside the boundaries. People seek out wooded areas that are for their solitude and their beauty and the catches of ungroomed powder. Of course, they say tree skiing is inherently more dangerous than skiing on trails and usually reserved for experts or extreme adventure enthusiasts. They say hazards are cliffs or streams uh, that are often not blocked off by the ski patrol. Other dangers include logs and stumps and, of course, the trees themselves. That's quite an understatement. So I thought, you know, tree skiing kind of sounds like a death wish to me. But some skiers love the idea of the risk of skiing in that virgin powder in a stand of aspen or of spruce. The key, of course, is not getting hit by the trees. There's another understatement. In Outside Magazine, the writer and skier Tim Etchells lays out the challenge. He says, even more so than in deep snow or moguls, when you focus your eyes on, what you focus your eyes on, becomes critical in the woods. He writes, look at the spaces between the trees, the exits where you hope to be traveling. Don't stare at what you don't want to hit. How about that? Well, our Bible text today contains the story of a man who was able to completely focus on Jesus. He had a determined response, and that response shows us how we too can focus on Jesus more clearly and improve our spiritual vision. This is a story about receiving grace from God. It's the story of a man, poor, blind, powerless, who not only receives, but chases hard after God's grace. He's a man who says, if God is really gracious, if Jesus is real and alive, if the power of the Holy Spirit is truly available, then I'm going to ask big. I'm going to live large. If God is generous with his grace, I'm not going to ask for just a, a little bit. I'm going to ask for a fountainful. There were hundreds of people tagging along with Jesus on this day, but really only one of them had an eye-opening experience. This man, this poor beggar, called in Scripture Bartimaeus. So let's take a look at our text from Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. 
So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. And so we pick up this story when Jesus and his followers are leaving Jericho, heading towards Jerusalem. I want you to imagine a mob of people hanging around Jesus, all walking on this road, heading out of the city. There is tension in this crowd. On three separate occasions earlier, Jesus has told those who are following him that he is headed towards Jerusalem so that he can die. That's his plan. Back in Mark chapter 8, we read, they were on the way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And so I want us to enter into the feelings of that scene for a few moments. There's astonishment at the words of Jesus. There's fear at what might happen to Jesus or to his followers. There is great uncertainty surrounding the events of the time. Everyone is on edge. They're uptight. They're stressed out. And Jesus is solely focused on one goal, to get to Jerusalem where he will suffer and die for the sins of the world. And so as they leave the city, they see a blind man sitting along the roadside. Now, this was a common sight in Jesus' day. But this blind, this poor, rejected beggar becomes the kind of person that the Gospels hold up as a model disciple. A model disciple. And so we're going to take a look for a few moments at some truths that we can observe from this, what we're calling an eye-opening experience. And the first truth that we see from this encounter is this. If you truly want to experience all that the Lord has for you, place yourself in the path of blessing. Place yourself in the path of blessing. Bartimaeus positioned himself on the side of the road, the main road leading out of the city, so that travelers would be sure to see him as they passed by. And since many of these travelers were pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem for spiritual reasons, for worship, perhaps they would be more inclined to be generous. Bartimaeus wanted to be there for them. Bartimaeus was limited in what he was able to do. His life had been reduced to begging. But he did what he could. He put himself on the path of blessing. You know, there's a reason why beggars often hang around at the off-ramps to the freeway or the on-ramps or busy intersections. It's because it makes good business sense, doesn't it? If your income is dependent on what others give to you, you're going to go where the money is. You put yourself in the path of opportunity. I want us to think about that for a moment and make a spiritual application. There is a sense where we need to do this very thing in our lives. 
we need to ask ourselves, am I putting myself in a place of opportunity? Is the road that I'm on today the path of God's blessing? Are my habits, my attitudes, my relationships, are all of these things moving me in the direction of God's blessing? Place yourself in the path of blessing. There's a second truth I want us to see here, and that is that people in God's kingdom are treated with dignity. People are treated with dignity. I want you to notice how Mark calls this man by name. He names him. He even includes the name, includes the name of his father. Bartimaeus was not some expendable, insignificant vagrant. Because there is no such thing as an expendable, insignificant person in the kingdom of God. That's why Mark calls him by name. Continuing in our story in verse 49, it says, Jesus stopped and asked him and said, call him here. Call him here. I want you to know it's important here to to kind of get the context of this story. Remember that just prior to this encounter, Jesus had just told his disciples that he was on his way to Jerusalem where he expected a violent death. Think about the toll that that would take on, on him personally. Physically, we know the toll of the things he was about to experience. Perhaps he was apprehensive about the violence that he was about to face. The knowledge of certain death had to be going through Jesus' mind as he began this final journey towards Jerusalem in obedience to his Father's will. And yet here, on the side of the road, shouting at the top of his lungs, was one more needy person. One of hundreds of thousands saying, help me, Jesus. Stop what you're doing and help me. And friends, no matter how busy we might be, how many important appointments we have ahead in our schedule, we need to remember that people in God's kingdom must be treated with dignity. Well, as always, Jesus, his attitude, his actions are so revealing to us. And so this brings us to our our third truth that we want to see, and that is that we must put others first. Put others first. Jesus had just told James and John, we looked at this last week, he had just told James and John that in order to be great, you must have the heart of a servant. And so what does he do now? He models that very attitude with Bartimaeus. You see, great leaders know how to put aside their own worries in order to take care of others. One of the the most effective ministers that I've ever known was one of my mentors in Bible college, a man by the name of George Kennedy. George pastored a very small church of about 30 people in a rural community on the outskirts of Portland. And during my second year in Bible college, I was assigned an internship with George. While some of my classmates were in much larger suburban and city churches, I ended up in a tiny, out-of-the-way congregation that very few people even knew existed. There I was assigned by George to preach every Sunday night and two Sunday mornings per month. And in addition, because the church was very small, they couldn't afford to pay George and certainly couldn't afford to pay the intern, George 
offered me a job working in his janitorial company. And so we worked four or five nights per week from around 11 at night till about five in the morning. We would go around to grocery stores and car dealerships and, and clean them in the wee hours of the morning. And it was during those long nights that I spent with George that I really got to know him well and learn from him. George had a ministry that extended far beyond the walls of that little church. And George was the kind of guy who always put others first. Now, I, I worked long enough with him to know some of the concerns that he was facing personally, health concerns of his own, serious health concerns for his wife, the stress of working 70, 80 hours a week and still pastoring a congregation of people who had their own struggles. And yet he always faced it with grace, pointed, putting others first. When, it, when his phone rang, it was usually somebody who needed something. Often when we would stop for breaks at two or three in the morning in one of the all-night coffee shops around town, people would come up to George, people who were obviously down and out. They'd call out George's name. They knew him. And they always had something that they were asking for. George, can you visit my son in jail? George, can you lend me a few bucks? George, can you help me with this emergency with my car? And on and on it went. And one time I asked him, I said, George, does anybody just come up to you and say, George, I have something for you. Here's some money that you lent me. And he just kind of laughed. But you know, the truth is, that is the life, friends, that we are called to as Christ followers. It's about serving others like Jesus did. It's about putting others first like George did. We can't let what we are going through or what we are worried about prevent us from ministering to the Bartimaeuses that God places in our path as we're on our way somewhere. That's what I learned in that internship with George Kennedy. George is in heaven now, but he has a lasting legacy of putting others first. And that's what he left behind in mentoring young Bible college students through the years. You know, I can imagine that Bartimaeus wasn't a, a very pretty sight to look at. Poor, unpleasant, loud, rude, inappropriate, socially awkward. He's not the kind of guy that you wanted to invite over for dinner at your place. He's one messed up human being. But remember, in this story... He is the model disciple, the model disciple. So, so far we've observed from Bartimaeus three truths about his eye-opening experience. Number one, place yourself in the path of blessing. Number two, people in God's kingdom must be treated with dignity. And number three, we're called to put others first. Now I want to look at you with, uh, at some actions that we can take to continue our own process of focusing on Jesus, of improving our spiritual vision. So let's continue the story in verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. 
But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The first action that we need to learn from Bartimaeus is to ignore the crowd. Ignore the crowd. When Bartimaeus started calling out to Jesus for help, the crowd around him told him to shut up, to stay put, to leave Jesus alone. Now, who were these people? Well, some of them were likely religious people on their way up to the feast in Jerusalem. Others were followers of Jesus walking along with him. Others were likely other beggars looking for handouts along with Bartimaeus, as well as merchants and business people along the side of the road with Bartimaeus. Whoever they were, they rose up in one voice and said, leave Jesus alone. Who do you think you are? You're making a spectacle of yourself. It's not right. Just shut up. Be quiet. But Bartimaeus made the strategic and the life-changing decision to ignore that crowd. Ignore the crowd. I want you to imagine just right now, if someone started shouting out right here in the middle of our service, we'd probably do the same thing that that crowd did to Bartimaeus. Shh, quiet down. Maybe somebody would come and try to lead them outside so that we could all be at peace, right? Look at what happens in our story. Verse 48, many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. Now throughout the Gospels, we see the disciples so often trying to protect Jesus from problem people. But Jesus' response is usually something like, the messed up people aren't the problem. You're the problem, guys. Because you keep blocking people from coming to me, the people who need me most. And so the crowd shushes Bartimaeus. Jesus is busy, they say. Jesus has important things to do, important people to see. Just be quiet. Now, Bartimaeus may be a mess, but that doesn't cause him to hang his head in shame and fear because he lives with joyful confidence. All of the nice religious people are telling him to shut up and settle down, but what does that make him do? He shouts all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's what I admire about Bartimaeus. He's scrappy. He's persistent to the point of being aggravating. Bartimaeus is like a dog with a piece of meat in his mouth. Clamped down and he's not going to let go. And for Bartimaeus, that meat is God's grace. And he's not going to let go of it. You can't shake him off of that precious prize. Everyone shushes him, but he just ignores them all. Wouldn't it be great to live with that kind of confidence and freedom in your life? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great to be completely honest about your life, about the mess, the pain, the temptations, the struggles that you have? And then at the same time, to hold your head high with confidence and ignore the negative voices in the crowd around you. Is that even possible? For Bartimaeus it is. Friends, if we are going to have clear spiritual eyesight, we've got to know what 
to ignore and when to ignore the critics, when to ignore the crowd, and when to stay focused on Jesus. Back to our tree skiing. Look at the spaces between the trees, the exits where you hope to be traveling. Don't stare at what you don't want to hit. What a great quote. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There will be times in your life when you have people standing between you and Jesus, between you and victory, between you and obedience, between you and the life that Jesus desires for you to have. And these people will tell you you have no business, no business hoping for what you're hoping for. You're just a blind beggar, so stay put, stay quiet, and stay out of God's way. Keep your head down. And that's when we must shout all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Ignore the crowd. The second action that we learn from this encounter, after we ignore the crowd, is to release everything. To release everything. Verse 49, so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Interesting how the crowd so quickly changed, right? All of a sudden, Bartimaeus is a hero. Come on, buddy. Get on up there. He's calling for you. We've mentioned as we've worked through Mark, you know, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. And so he's very concise in the way that he says things. Every thought, every phrase is really heavy with meaning. And Mark is, is brilliant at including details that turn the significance of the story. And one of the most important phrases in today's story is found there in verse 50. Throwing his cloak aside. Throwing his cloak aside. Think about that for a moment. More than likely, this is a poor blind beggar. What possessions does he have? Likely that cloak is about it. And not only did it provide him warmth, but it also served as his business storefront. A beggar in Jesus' day would spread out their cloak in front of them, and that's where people would toss their coins. And so when Jesus calls for Bartimaeus, what does he do? He casts aside his cloak. It's gone. Where? The streets are full of travelers and onlookers and merchants and beggars. Did he think that cloak was going to be there when he got back? And by the way, just how would a blind man go about locating a garment that he had thrown aside as he leapt up to pursue the voice that was calling him? You know what I think? I think that when Bartimaeus tossed away that cloak, I don't think he was planning on coming back to get it. Someone who can see no longer has a reason to beg. And so he no longer needs a beggar's cloak. When Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak, he was throwing his old lifestyle aside and giving everything to Jesus. Now he was still blind, and yet his confidence in Jesus caused him to act without fear. Don't be afraid to release everything in order to pursue Jesus. I think Bartimaeus did what many of us cannot or will not do. 
He cast everything aside for the sake of following Jesus. So how about you? What is it that you're holding on to, wrapped tightly about you? What is in your grip that you're afraid to release control of? You see, if we truly want to have an eye-opening experience, if our desire is to have focus and clarity as we follow Jesus, we have to not be afraid to release everything. And that brings us to the third action that we learn from Bartimaeus. After we release it all, we have to ask for it all. Ask for it all. Verse 51, Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? What a question. Imagine the king of kings, God's chosen Messiah, the one through whom God created all that exists. And he asks you personally, what do you want me to do for you? Think of the ways Bartimaeus could have responded. He could have said, Lord, I need a new cloak. I just threw mine away. He could have said, Lord, I just want enough money so that I don't have to beg all the time. He could have said, Lord, I want to even the score with those who have judged me with scorn all these years. Those are, are things that any powerful man could have done for him. But he knew that Jesus was more than just a powerful man. And so he had the courage to ask for it all. Verse 51, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. Do you sense the, the confidence and the clarity there? In the, in the Gospel of Mark, the, the recovery of sight isn't just a physical miracle. It's symbolic. It's symbolic of true discipleship. It means, I want to see and follow you, Lord, which is exactly what happens next. Go, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And the text says that Bartimaeus follows Jesus along the road. You see, Bartimaeus knows what he wants. He's clear and he's focused. He's a man who understands the amazing grace that flows through Jesus, and he can't live without that grace. He's a man who lives with confidence and spiritual authority because his power and his hope rest in Christ, not in himself. He knows what he wants, and that is to see and to follow Jesus. Don't be afraid to ask for it all. It is God's will that his people should live abundantly. That is to live life to the fullest. And yet many of us spend our entire lives running on empty. Why is that? It is God's will that his people would live lives full of joy. It's his will that we would experience the peace that surpasses all understanding of this world. And yet, many Christians do not experience that aspect of his will at all. They live in anxiety, in fear, in doubt. It was God's will that Bartimaeus would receive his sight this day. But you know what? 
You know what's interesting to me? If Bartimaeus had said nothing, if he had done nothing, if he had asked for nothing, he would have got what? Nothing. You know, James, in his letter, in James chapter 4 and verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Friends, I want you to understand how liberating this can be for our prayer life. There is nothing wrong with asking for it all. We don't have to worry if we ask for the wrong thing. You know, Jesus has enough backbone to say no if we're asking for the wrong thing. If you ask for the wrong thing in the wrong way, guess what? The Holy Spirit will speak to you and convict you and help you refine your motives and refine your requests until they are consistent with God's best for your life. But we must ask. The problem is not that we ask for too much. The problem is that most of us ask for far too little or that we don't ask at all. And therefore, we receive nothing at all. Or that we ask with self-serving motives. Our prayer life becomes nothing more than a laundry list of personal requests of things that we like. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in Bartimaeus' situation right now. You're stuck in life. You have no hope, no future, no support, nowhere to go. And Jesus shows up and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What is your response? What is your response to Jesus when he says to you, what is it that you want me to do for you? Friends, don't be afraid to ask for it all. Let's finish the text in verse 52. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. What was it about Bartimaeus' faith that activated the power of God? And how can we have that kind of faith? Well, let's just remind ourselves first, Bartimaeus fixed his hope, his focus on Jesus. Not on the crowd's approval or the crowd's opinions. When being close to God matters to you more than what other people around you think. Friends, that is when you are on your way to life-changing faith. Secondly, Bartimaeus let go of everything he had. He threw that cloak aside because he had every intention of giving up the beggar's life. Now that cloak might seem to us to be a meager possession, but it was all that he had and he tossed it aside. And again, when we are ready to cast everything aside, what is it that we have to cast aside? Well, how about our pride? How about our self-sufficiency? How about our need for control, to be in charge, to call the shots? How about our brokenness? How about our bitterness that we hold on to? 
You see, for the sake of a Jesus-filled life, we must cast it all aside and not go back to it if we're to have the faith that brings about great change in our life. When we're willing to release it all, let go of everything, that's when we're on our way to great faith. And then finally, Barnabas wasn't afraid to ask for it all. He knew what he wanted. He'd probably heard that Jesus had performed other miracles, that he'd healed other people, and he had the courage to ask it for himself. If he hadn't asked, if he hadn't asked, it never would have happened. Friends, that is why we must know the word of God. We need to know the promises of God. We need to know God's will for his people. Because when we know those things, then we can ask properly. And we can have the courage to ask in faith. When our faith is based on God's word and not on our personal opinions not on our preferences, not on the way that just seems right to us, but when our faith is rooted in his word, in his way, that is when we are on our way to building great faith. So friends, let's be ready to throw aside our beggar's cloak. Let's dare to ask in faith for the promises of God to be filled in our lives day after day as we follow him. You know, the Bible says that our life is like a vapor, that it will disappear before we know it. That's why we can't hold on to it. Simply living for ourselves. Focus on Jesus. Have a clear vision for the future that God has planned for you. And then be ready to throw it all aside to pursue the way that he calls you. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to pray today that you will increase our faith, Lord. Help us to be bold in spiritual truth. Father, I pray that you would give us confidence to know your way and to pursue it wholeheartedly. Father, guide us this week through your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to your truth, to your way, to your faith, as we throw aside our own ways, our own preferences, in order to pursue your way. And Father, we thank you for the hope and the glory that you have in store for us when we come to see with eyes unhindered Lord, to have that eye-opening experience of fully following you. Guide us today, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand right now as we prepare to sing our closing song. And as we go, I just want to encourage you to pursue the eyesight that God has for you, the clear eyesight the way that he's laid out. And when you're tempted to go your own way, look for the help that you need through God's people to get you back on the track that you need to be running on. 
May God bless you in that endeavor today. Let's sing that final song, Kathy.